You can have a seat. Welcome to Ordinary Faith. If uh, I know Steve's already done that. I know now that I don't have to worry about anyone being in a hurry for lunch because of his opening soliloquy monologue there. No one's in a hurry to go have fish today. <clears throat> hey, if you are new with us, we do have a welcome table at the back. Miss Sue will be back there at the end of the service. And uh, so if you want to, like, let her know who you are so she can irritate you, that would be good. She's very good at irritating people. No, I'm just kidding. That's just a joke. Just a joke. So we're in our series called Starting Point today. We're talking about starting things. So this is a starting idea, right? Things start. This isn't the finish. This isn't the spike into the end zone. This is the beginning, okay? And so we're laying a foundation, and that's what this series is about. As we get started into it, we're laying a foundation for faith for people who may have lost theirs or may have, have doubts about it. See, one of the things that, uh, that I've come to understand over the years in my own faith journey and being the father of eight sons and watching their faith journeys is this. You earn your faith. No one gives it to you. You have to earn it. You have to understand it. You have to fight for it. You have to, you have to work it out. Because what happens when we are younger and we are given a faith and the church that we went to are from our family or maybe not at all, what happens is we expect that faith to, to be based upon our experiences in life completely. It's kind of, I call it a Janet Jackson faith. What have you done for me lately? You're never, never going to get that out of your head. You're stuck now. You're like, oh my goodness. And kind of approach God on that basis of what has he done for me lately. But that's not where faith starts and that's not where God starts. So we're going to look at a different place where faith starts this week, a different starting point. And so what our goal is through this series is, one, if you are looking for a restart on your faith, we want to help you do that. Two, it's also to help you guys who have a strong faith and you have children, you have siblings, you have parents who are struggling with their faith, to give you a new place to start the conversation from other than then the, the old starter that we've always used. Well, the Bible says... We're going to talk a lot about the Bible, but not everybody's ready for that starting point. So we're starting at a new place, okay? So today we're talking about the title, the subtitle of this message is A Sea of Glass. And we're going to start with a guy that three major faith traditions accept as not only that he existed, but as the basis for their faith. A guy named Abraham. So if you look at the, the main faith systems, uh, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, they all agree on some things. They agree that God created the world. They agree that sin entered the world through a couple named Adam and Eve. Prophet Muhammad uh, called Adam the first Muslim. And they believe because of the prophet Muhammad. Jews believe because they have the books of Moses and Genesis. Christians believe because Jesus connected Adam and Eve to, uh, to our story and our life and to the ideas of sin, which we talked about last week, the, taking the idea of mistaking and driving it, making it, making, helping us understand that it's a little bit deeper, a whole lot deeper than that. So all believe that God created the world, that it was good, and then something happened that ruined it. Things went bad, and that God was left with a mess on his hands. So every, all three of those faiths agree that God started with a guy named Abraham and cleaning up the mess. Now after that, they diverge drastically. But they, they all agree that the beginning of all of this started with a guy named Abraham. So to, to kind of lay a foundation for this, 
It's a little less upsetting than the fish story. Uh, <laughs> so several months ago, uh, not long after we'd moved in the house that we're in now, I heard, I was in my chair in my living room reading a book or something, I don't know, whatever men do in their chairs, and all the women just go, oh, never mind. And so just there, and all of a sudden I heard this shattering noise. And you know how it is, when it's not you, it, it doesn't just sound like something broke, it sounds like everything broke. It's, it echoes in your head, and, and that's what I heard. And so I, I jumped out of my chair, and I ran toward the kitchen where I heard the noise come from. My wife, of course, who was across town, beat me there, because <laughs> that's what moms do, you know. And here's my 13-year-old son with Down syndrome, Cayman. And Cayman, he, he's, he's very, he's incredible. And he does not look at the world like me in any way at all. And so he doesn't comprehend danger and consequences like I do. So I run into the room and I look and here's my son. And, and at his feet, you know how when you drop a glass into the sink and a chunk comes out and you pick up three pieces of glass and throw it away? It wasn't that at all. Not at all. It was, it was one of those thin crystal type glasses I didn't even know we had. And, and I... I all I know is it was everywhere, these shards of glass. I I, the glass must have been a gallon glass because it was so much glass. And I'm looking at, here's my 13-year-old son, and he's looking at me, bewildered, like, what just happened? He's barefoot, kitchen floor, glass everywhere. All, there's a radius of glass. And I, being the loving, caring father that I am, <laughs> I shouted at him. I don't always react well. Stop! It was so bad, my wife got angry at me. <laughs> so, so it, stop. I told him to stop, you know, because I didn't, I just don't move. You can't come to me right now. I've got to come to you. And so there's my son surrounded by glass and if he tries to come to me, he's just going to make it worse. And so the only way to do it is for me or, and my wife to begin to, to work our way toward him. And that's a, that's a fairly decent analogy of what God was facing after Adam and Eve made their choice in the Garden of Eden. It was like that, that shattered glass everywhere. There was no way out. And, and in fact, to try and make your own way out would only make it worse. And so here's, I'd like to, for you to really understand the story. I'm not asking you to believe everything I believe. I'm just asking you to hear me out, okay? If you can give me that much. In, in this story of God and mankind, I just want you to see that God was faced with a dilemma. A huge, horrible mess. And that Adam and Eve, when, they, when, that, when everything shattered in the Garden of Eden, that there was no way they could fix it. And God had to do something. Now, have you ever walked into a mess that was so bad that you were like, ah, we, just, we don't need this bathroom anymore? <laughs> or a teenager's bedroom, like, you know what, we're just going to burn that out of the house. That just needs to be set fire to and started all over. God could have done that with mankind. God could have just shut the door. Mankind's out of order. Hope that works out for them. 
and walked away from that disaster, which is us. But he didn't do that. He had to start somewhere. Christy and I had to start sweeping up these microscopic shards of glass. Um, the mess, the teenager's room, the, the husband's room. We, never mind. Um, <laughs> you have to start somewhere. And so God started with this shard of glass named Abraham. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's the guy that we're going to be wrestling with today. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so, sin made a mess. Mankind was stranded. And God stepped in and he began to fix that mess. He began a process of fixing that mess. He started over with this guy named Abraham. Now, who was Abraham? Was Abraham awesome? Was he a great guy? Not when we meet him. When we meet him, he's about 75 years of age in Genesis chapter 12. He doesn't have any children. He has a wife who's apparently smoking hot. Her name is Sarah. I'll tell you why in just a minute. All right? And uh, so, <laughs> keeping the kids intrigued, keeping the kids intrigued. So, he was an idol worshiper. He didn't, he didn't solely worship God or maybe not have worshiped God at all. Uh, his wife was, the reason I said she, she must have been attractive is because twice he entered into a new country and uh, the people in the land thought she was so attractive. And so rather than him saying, hey, this is my wife, stay away, he said, uh, you can have her. I'll get another one. <laughs> he was not perfect. God didn't pick Abraham because Abraham was so great or awesome or holy or right or religious or any of that stuff. Abraham was actually a mess. And, and, it, and as we dig into his life a little bit and into Moses, you'll, you'll see that. And so God started with this guy who was a mess, who was an idol worshiper, didn't know how to love his wife, just did a whole lot of things wrong. And his story starts Genesis 12. God just shows up. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to a land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. This was God's initiative statement to Abram. This is what starts the journey, the connection between mankind and God. They reconnect from, uh, from the beginning. And so you see in it three promises. So I sorted them out for you so it would be a little bit simpler to see. The first promise, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. That makes sense today. It did not make sense 4,000 years ago. There weren't great nations. There were, there were tribes, nomadic tribes of people. The idea of a nation was a new concept. God's really good at, at bringing up new concepts, okay? And so it would be, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I had to... I lost my train of thought there, but don't worry, I was riding in the caboose anyway, and it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Miss Sally, keep me on track. So the idea of God saying to Abram, a guy who has no children, he doesn't say to him, I'll make you a dad. He says to him, I'll make you a nation, okay? So that, that would be like, uh, I don't know, that'd be like me calling up Ron Gaddy. I think I saw him here earlier today, saying, hey, man, I need a, 
I need emergency services. And he goes, well, first we got to invent 911. <laughs> then we got to build an ambulance. Then we'll be there. It's kind of, that's kind of how God has come to, to Abram. And he's saying, I'm making you a promise of something that's way beyond your scope of things. That's way, way ahead of you. Does that make sense? I promise to make you a nation to a guy who doesn't even have any children. So, and, and nobody argues, by the way, that this happened. In the, in the three major faith traditions, this, this is accepted as true. Promise two, I'll bless you and make your name great. I'll make you famous. Anyone in this room ever heard of Abraham? Raise your hand. I've heard of Abraham. Okay. All right. Okay. That's pretty good. How about uh, Zoar, king of Bela? Anybody heard of Zoar? Okay. How about Chaderleomar, king of Edom? Anybody heard of those guys? Because they were super famous in Abram's day. Everybody knew who they were. In fact, they knew who they were. They didn't know who Abraham was. But God made a promise. He said, I'll make you a great nation. By the way, any idea what nation that might have been? Still around day. Go ahead, shoot it, shout it out. Wow, how did you know that? You guys are smart, man. You guys must study history. Anyway, verse, verse promise three. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All. Can you say all? All. All, all the people on earth are going to be blessed through you. Not just Israel. Not just Muslims, not just Philistines or Gentiles. Everybody gets blessed because of what God is going to do in the life of a guy named Abram. Every Jew, every Muslim, every Christian, all these groups, they, they get their starting point here because this is where God connects with a guy. This is the first shard of glass, if you will. Now, so God starts. This story with Abram. And some time passes. And, and Abram is Abram. His name gets changed to Abraham at some point. And uh, he's kind of, he's very much like us. He's not perfect either. He was a mistaker too, just like we are. And he struggled. Because God said, he was, remember, he was 75 years of age. And he hadn't started his family yet. He's 75. And, and he's, he starts doing what God says. And, and a year passes, and two years, and three, and on they come, and still no child. And, and so he, he does like I do with God all the time. I'm like, hey, 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 do you know what you're doing up there? You said stuff hasn't happened yet, and that's where Abraham was. And he's complaining to God one day like we all do. If you don't complain to God, you're just not doing it right. He complained to God one day, like we all do, and he says, God, uh, you know, all I have is my servant Eliezer, and you know, he's a good guy, he's a great servant, but if you don't, if, I guess he gets all my stuff when I kick off. I, I guess all my stuff goes to him. And that was the beginning of, of one of the most significant passages in, in, in the Old Testament, one that Paul is going to latch onto, and we'll come back to that later that it opens a door on something that no one had ever considered before. In fact, they don't, won't even consider it now. And it's this. So Abram's complaining to God. Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside. It's funny, apparently they were inside. The Lord took Abram outside. 
And he said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. I live out north now. I used to live in town, and I love, love, love stars. I'm very ignorant about constellations and so forth, but I just love to look at the stars. I love to look at the Milky Way. I just love it. And so now, where I live, I have a much better view, less light pollution. It's, it's darker. And I can see that Big Dipper out my back door and Orion's Belt out the front door. And You know, there's a lot of stars up there. I mean, you ever tried? When I was a kid, I remember trying to count stars. Like one, two, three. Did I count that one already? God took him outside and just had him look up at the stars and say, you're going to have descendants like that. Now, it's, it sounds, this is, this is a beautiful promise. I love it. That's not, this isn't even where we're going with this. But I do want you to take a minute to realize that this event, this conversation between God and Abraham happened 4,000 years ago. No Facebook, no Twitter, no email, no phones at all. And you and I know about the story. It survived this long. We hear about it. It's a long time. Long before the Jews were ever formed into a nation, long before the law comes, which we'll talk about next week, there's this idea that God introduces here that we're about to step into. And it's an idea of a relationship with God. Now, you guys who are Christians in the room and you have a, a long faith story behind you, when I talk about a relationship with God, you are totally comfortable with that idea. But for those that are your kids, your nephews and nieces and your friends and other people that are non-believers in your family, the idea of a relationship with God sounds weird. It sounds just outside the realm of possibility. And it, it raises the question, what does that even begin to look like? But even before you begin to ask the question, what does that look like? There's the other question, like, how is that even possible? And that's where we're at today. We're at the starting point, not the continuing point. The starting point. The idea of being in relationship with God when we're in the midst of a mess. It's hard to approach God especially if you feel like you're in trouble with him all the time. And you feel like he's the one who's going to drop the hammer and ruin your life at any moment. And so, where does this all begin? Did this come from God? My point is this. If you haven't struggled with this, you haven't thought about this. If you haven't struggled with this, you haven't thought about this. And so, how does a person who's, who wants to be a mistaker but really can't fix those mistakes how does a person get to a place is it even possible to relate to be in a relationship or even a conversation with God and that's where God comes back with something that is shocking this verse it, it, it should be considered a key verse of Genesis this verse is the basis of, of Christian theology that Paul develops later. This, this text, what God says here, is mind-boggling. Because it, it introduces 
a way of being in relationship with God. So here's, here's Abraham. He's complaining to God. Okay, God, you say I'm going to have nations. I don't know what those are, but I'm not even a dad yet. I'm not even a dad. I don't know how we get from no kids to nations. If something happens to me, Eliezer gets everything. And God says, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. And Abraham thinks about that. I don't know if they went back in. I don't know if they had a cup of coffee. I don't know if, they, if God had given coffee to man at that time, which terrifies me that there was ever a time in history that didn't have coffee in it. I don't know what happened, but I know that Abraham thought about it, and he said, okay, I'm not even a dad. He says I'm going to be nations. I'm going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. And Abraham said, okay. That was it. That was it. The Bible says in Genesis 15, 6, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his sin. I mean, because of his faith. I'm sorry, because of his belief. I'm sorry, my man was going on to this next place. Lying. I don't even know what you call what he did to Sarah. What do you call that when you just give your wife up? Like... And uh, he did it twice, so, and then his son did it, so he like ran in the family. <clears throat> Lying, did not stand behind his wife like he should have, idolater. I, I, can, I, I can sit here and find all kinds of things wrong with Abraham to tell you that he, he was far worse than a mistaker. And here he goes before God, and he, and he says, man, you gave me a promise, but it ain't happening. And God says, it's going to happen. And Abraham says, okay. And God's conclusion to that moment isn't that, oh, and then he had Isaac and life got all hunky-dory. God's conclusion to that moment is God counted him, stamped him, credited him as righteous. In God's eyes, from that moment on, Abraham wasn't a mistaker. He wasn't a sinner. He was right. Why? Why? Because he did some... He went on some quest. He, he got it all right from the time God showed up. He started being good. No, no. His worst mistakes happened after God showed up. All of his, his, his worst parts and what makes him righteous. It wasn't what he did. It wasn't that he was good or he was righteous or he was holy. What made him righteous was he said, God said, I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have descendants like the stars. There will be a nation. Okay. He trusted God said it, I trust him. Had no reason to trust him in that moment. He didn't have a son yet. I mean, I really don't think his relationship with Sarah was that great, to be honest with you. I'm thinking if I gave my wife away twice, that we'd struggle. We might need counseling. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> You have in your Bible the first indication of a human being being right with God. And it's not a work. It's not effort. It's simply trust. Now, I told you that all three faith traditions agree that God started here with this guy named Abraham. And this is where they depart with this guy named Abraham. Because you take this text where God says to Abraham, you're righteous. You trusted me, you're righteous. 
And now it's like it's impossible to accept that simple reality. And think about it. How hard is this to accept? Because nothing, 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 nothing in life works like this. You have to earn your boots. I'm in Wyoming. you got to cowboy up, earn your boots, and all kinds of other painful things. No suffering, no respect, you know? It's not like that in school. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the effort if you're going to be honored, if you're going to be right. It's not like that in business. It's, it's not like that in the church. you got to put in your time, buddy. What happened? What, one, what happened here in this story with Abraham where God takes this one simple act of trust and that act of trust stamps a man as right before God? Ends the mistaker, ends the sinner, and now we have a person who can, who can actually be friends and in relationship with God. And could it even be that simple? The Jews didn't think so. They took what happened with Abraham, and then we'll talk about next week rules and the things that came up. They took those 613 rules that you find in the first five books of the Bible, and then they turned them into literally thousands of other rules because they thought they were Congress working on something. (laughs) You're like, you're going to get in trouble. That's my goal. If I haven't gotten a little bit of trouble, I haven't had any fun. They rejected it. They rejected the idea flat out, and they decided that you were in relationship with God because you were a Jew, because you're, re- you're related to Abraham, which sounds... Because re- his basis of relationship with God was an act of trust, and so their relationship with God is an act of relationship to Abraham? I mean, that's like saying I, I'm in relationship with God because my great-grandmother went to church. It's the same concept. And so the Jews say that. The Muslims totally reject that system, and they have, they have taken the idea of trust out and turned it into a, a, a complete system of works and efforts in which there's no possible security of salvation. You won't know. Not even Muhammad knew when he died that he would go to heaven. He, was, he expected to stand before God and be judged, and hopefully his good would outweigh his bad. And obviously he'd never read the prophet of Isaiah who taught us that everything we do turns out bad because of our motivations and our desires with it. And so they have these systems. And I would love to say, well, Christians embraced it because you have Abraham and the Jews come along and it's a nation a few generations after that. And then 2,000 years after Abraham, you have the church born out of Judaism. And then 2,600 years after Abraham, you have the Muslim faith comes into existence through Muhammad. I'd love to tell you that the Christians were born out of Judaism and they were like, that's it. It's justified by faith that's the church term we use but basically a simple act of trust brings about a relationship to God but that's not what happened the Christians have been they fought about this from 10 minutes after Jesus left till the reformation and then they split into the Catholics and the Protestants and I guess we're technically Protestants which it's funny because we protest things. That's what we do, right? That's protest. Pro- anyway, sorry. I, that's me just working through my faith issues right there. My point is, is that, that God took this simple 4,000-year-old moment and he established something so simple. Simple. Sorry, that's my best Bronx accent right there. So simple. 
What if it's not how hard you work, how much you give, how you dress, the church you go to? What if it's not how good of a person you are, how much effort you expend? What if it's none of those things that puts us in relationship with God? What if, I'm not asking you to believe it yet, but what if it's just a simple act of trust? God said, I trust Him. What if that's all it is? What if that's the beginning? What if that's the starting point? We got a lot more to go in starting points, so we're not, that's not the final pen in this thing. But what if we begin to take those ideas of this God who scares us, and rightfully so. I mean, He breathes stars into existence and destroys nations. I mean, He can be scary. He is the one that everyone fears, whether they admit it or not. We fear an appointment with God. And so, what if the escape from that, what if the setup for that is just one simple act of trust? You said to Abraham that you'd bless all the nations. Oh, look, I happen to be in a nation. That means that blessing is for me, too. And I, I trust what you have said. You see, righteousness comes by faith. And what if religion, and I, I'm not trying to minimize whatever religion you might have grown up in, but what if maybe we overcomplicated things in this process? And maybe what if we just backed up a little bit and started with a simple expression of trust? And we, we began to, to, to think about God and begin to trust that what He said is true. There's no other place in life where you can be unacceptably, I mean, unconditionally accepted based on trust. But that is, that is how it worked with Abraham. And if God blessed Abraham that way, and if God said that he was going to bless the nations, then that's part of that blessing. A 4,000-year-old promise. So, there's this psalm that I love. I love the psalms. I read the Psalms every day almost. And uh, I love the Psalms because David's like manic depressive and I, I totally get that. I'm not kidding. You read him and he's ready to choke someone out in this verse and he's ready to love him to death in that one. And you're like, I get you. Yeah, okay, I get you. He says in Psalms 32, verse 1, he says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. It's a beautiful idea. So I want to encourage you, the, what we really are trying to do with this series, we're not trying to convince you of anything. I'm telling you, this, telling you the stories, the histories, the way things have been recorded and given to us. But we're really trying to tee up a conversation. Because we assume that most of you are like us. And that is, no one's going to tell me anything. I hate to be arrogant. I don't mean to be, but i got to figure things out for myself. I remember when I was a 16-year-old kid looking at my father who is just endowed with wisdom, and he's trying to keep me from a whole lot of stupid. I remember looking at him and going, Dad, i got to learn things for myself. 
He said, son, you're not going to live long enough to make enough mistakes. <laughs> so my point is, I, I get it. I, I understand. And so that's why we want to set up conversations. Because I realize you need to talk about things and think about things. And you need to do that with some other people who are doing the same thing. So we have some small groups. I think we, we put up a slide earlier about how to get connected with one of those. If, if not... If you don't have one yet, just send a text to 307-224. We'll get that uh, 4404 at the end, and we can get you set up with the group. But my point is this. This is the question for this week is, on what grounds, if any, would God find me acceptable? On what grounds, if any, would God find me acceptable? What, make, what gets you into relationship with God? Where you were born? Your behavior, your belief, a combination of those. I want you to think about this question. Think about how a person can actually be in relationship with this incredible, amazing God. Now, next week, we're going to go to Moses, and we'll, we'll talk about the rules, and we're going to set them in context, because so much of, of these ideas about God, we, we imagine them, we try and process them out of context. And so we're going to put them in the proper context with the story of Abraham. So you're here today. We're about to worship. In fact, Steve, why don't you go and bring the worship team up? Uh, I'm going to be over here behind this prayer sign at the end. If you just need prayer about anything, you can do that today. But the main thing, my main mission today is to set you up for a conversation. What makes me right with God? What is it going to do? Is it going to be my, my birth or my belief? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this chance to think about Abraham, this 4,000-year-old man who can teach us so much about you. I pray that you help every life in this room, especially those who are looking for that restart, who are trying to, to get things sorted out in their minds, to work through these faith issues. And of course, I pray for those who have loved ones and they have struggled so much trying to find a, a common ground to talk about these issues. I pray that you'd empower them today. I pray that you would just help this idea of trust just settle in. What does it mean to trust God? What, how does trust accept? I pray that you would just build these conversations. I, I, if there is any way that you could take this message and these ideas today and create burning conversations throughout the week, that is what I ask you to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.